Glory to God. I believe he's in this house this morning. Is he in your house today? Amen. That's where you want him. You want him right here. Down deep on the inside. Hallelujah. Pass the body around. Pass the spirit around. Way down deep into the soul. Amen. As an anchor. Oh my goodness. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. And be in his presence. Have the joy that we have of serving the Lord together. We have that privilege this morning of gathering together in his name. Amen. What a privilege it is. Good to see you, brother. Amen. We have Brother Glenn Tamlingson here visiting from all the way from Arizona. We're happy to have him today. Glad you're here not rioting with the rest of them in Tucson. Amen. Screaming over the, the right to abortion. My goodness. We got a crazy world we're living in. We in a crazy, insane world, we are living there receiving the mind of Christ. We're being changed from glory to glory. Amen. Aren't you glad for that today? Hallelujah. In the face of all of it, here we are, children of the King. Amen. I'm looking over men and women today that's got a passion in their life. You know why? Because the Holy Ghost came in you and changed you and made a new creature out of you. Men and women with a drive, with a desire. Amen. With an unquenchable fire on the inside. Amen. That we just keep throwing more of the wood of the Word of God on. Amen. With baptism after baptism of the Holy Ghost. One day we're going to get the last baptism of it. There'll be an outpouring from the Holy Ghost. Take a bride into a rapture. What an hour, what a day. What a promise that is. Amen. Amen. Good to see young people with a passion. I showed the church um, to one of Karen's relatives during Brother Drum's funeral. She asked me, one of the first cousins said, you know, will you take me by the new church and show it to me? So I took her and her daughter. And they looked around the sanctuary and pointed out the mezzanine and said, I bet that's where all the young people get, isn't it? I said, no. Our young people are right here on the front. Not because they're made, but because they have a passion. They have a passion. They have a desire. Amen. An unquenchable desire to serve God. Amen. You're a tribute to the world. I want you to know we're grateful to God for the changes in your life. Amen. Amen. Let's just go to him in prayer right now and just commit this service. Amen. Lord, we commit this service in your hands. We are yours. From the front to the back, we're yours. We have young people we mentioned on the front here with a passion. We have all the, all the way back to the mezzanine and through it, people with a passion. I think of some of them, the many years they've served you in the fervency and the desire to please you. We want to thank you, Lord. We want to thank you for a church of believers that love you and are serving you with all of their hearts. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless us all and in a special way today. God, just pour out your anointing 
Anoint the scripture, Lord. Anoint it to our hearts. Lord, let your word just be formed within us. Let it be anointed word. Send out with power, with demonstration. Because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In every detail, the same the same things you did 2,000 years ago. You're here now in a bright body, finishing the work. For you said the works that I do shall you do also and greater. And we are here doing the greater works in a multi-membered body. We thank you for that. Thank you for every healing, deliverance. Thank you for the miracle of salvation, Lord. For the baptism of the Holy Ghost that empowers us as sons of God. We are asking in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. If you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 17, we'll read from verse 5 down through verse 7. Then I want to pick up in verse 15. So right now we'll just look at Genesis 17, 5. And I've just got a couple more services on this and we'll move on. But, um, you know, I, a lot of times... Um, Teaching is establishing us in the, in the present truth. We use Sunday morning for that a lot. Um, because, um, you know, Wednesday night we usually have um, one of our other brothers to minister. And many times it's a, an evangelistic service. So, um, but, you know, teaching grounds us in the word of God. And so we want to be grounded in the scripture, in the Bible. Amen. We, in fact, the matter is we want our Bible to be our absolute. So that when we point to um, uh, any doctrine that we believe, that we go back to the Bible. Because that is our absolute. Genesis 17 verse 5. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram. But thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful. And I will make thee nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee and verse 15 and God said unto Abraham as far as Sarai thy wife thou shalt not call her name Sarah Sarai but Sarah shall be her name shall her name be, and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nation, and kings of people shall be of her. Amen. God bless you. Can be seated. Today we're going to be speaking on the children born of El Shaddai. And um, as we speak of this, these children, we are speaking of a bride who is bringing forth Christ here upon the earth and manifesting uh, himself in his power, in his glory, and producing offspring that is of his, that is of his gene. Amen. As we look right here, we've got it written up when the bride will get back to being a word bride. What's these things? A word bride. She will produce the very works that Jesus produced. So you see, there is the whole goal is to be a word bride. Amen. And therefore, in this, bring forth a people from that 
who are the children of El Shaddai, the Almighty God. Now, as the bride coming approaches, which that's where I believe that we're at, we are in the bride coming of Christ, where that Christ will manifest himself completely and fully in bride form, and then the rapture will take place. And Revelation 10, 7 tells us that in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. In other words, the whole counsel of God would be made known. And the light would be shown on scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And and that brings us back to the full word into manifestation. With the fullness of the word, then comes the fullness of the power. So therefore, you know, we cannot expect to walk in full word without, without also anticipating and experiencing the full power of the word. Now, here in Genesis 17, we are actually seeing children in type born of El Shaddai. In other words, Almighty God was in type given birth to sons. And this is shown as he names his children. We didn't read it, but he would also name Isaac. And, uh, and, and, but he would change the name of Abram to Abraham by putting a letter of his own name into there. Also, he would do the same for Sarah because he was showing in type I am coming down into you in type of the baptism of the Holy Ghost so that you will bring forth an offspring of the supernatural. Now, so this is shown as he names his children and um, and names uh, the three of them as Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac because all of God's children are named by him. He has a right to name his own. And God gives them their name. This shows God is a father given birth to sons or to children. Now, of course, when we're talking about sons, we're talking about who we are in Christ. We are sons of God. We are also the bride of Christ. It all depends on how we're referring to it, but it's all the same. Sons of God, amen, include all the all men and women who are born of the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. The bride of Christ includes all men and women that are part of that body. They are the bride of Christ. Now, this is why God refers now to the children of denomination as names of blasphemy. They have a name of their mother, but not the name of a father. If you'll turn with me to Revelation 17 and 3, and he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, this is symbolic. We know that. So there are names of blasphemy that that she is full of. She's sitting on a scarlet-colored beast, and it's a woman. And in verse uh, 5, it said, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, this mystery woman whose roots were in pagan Babylonian religion is the Catholic Church. 
and she went a whoring, and of course, she produced offsprings. And as she did, she became the mother of harlots. And these harlots are churches too, and her daughters are the Protestant denominations that came out of her. So you see, they're all guilty before God. That's why God is calling a bride who will be a virgin to his word. You see, she claims to be the wife of Almighty God, but she has taken in the seeds of man through their, through their dogmas and creeds and, and seminary teachings and everything else, mixing and hybridizing the word of God, and, they, and her offspring are illegitimate. So rather than God naming them, he, they take on the name of an, an identification for, of their rebellion. They are actually identified with their rebellion against their mother. Her mother got so wicked they had to leave her. And so instead of taking on the name of Christ, you see they take on a name of, from their protest of their mother's wickedness. And although they tried to reform their mother, they too became a harlot like her by, again, when they come to marriage age, they married a denomination instead and, and, they're, and, they're, and take on their own name of Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian, Episcopalian and Nazarene or Pentecostal. And these are blasphemous names. Why are they blasphemous name? Because it is blasphemous for the bride, the church of Jesus Christ, the children of God to be called up by any other name than the name of Jesus Christ. You see, they must take on the name of their father. And they're not. They're taking on the name of their mother because she's a headless woman who rejects the word of God. This is why we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's because that we are taking on the name of our Savior. We are walking out identified. We have now been identified and named after him with our new life. Amen. Now, when a child comes from forth from El Shaddai, when the word brings forth, it, you see, it will bring forth the word in its fullness. And will be called by his name. Now these are sons. They are not grandsons. You see, Brother Branham got a statement that he garnered from David Duplicis, who was also knowing, uh, named uh, Mr. Pentecost. And, and uh, he, he was a preacher back in the, the 60s, moved a lot of people into the ecumenical um, uh, circles. He actually wound up uh, uniting the full gospel movement with the Catholics and so on with the ecumenical move. But nevertheless, you know, he realized he realized himself as he spoke of it, God has no grandchildren. He realized the danger of people coming in the church and not getting an experience with God, therefore becoming grandchildren. And I wonder today if history is not repeating itself and see that we see uh, that there's not, and we see that there's again another new generation of grandchildren. 
This is why we strive so hard to get you to have a real, genuine Holy Ghost experience with God because you cannot just simply accept this message on the basis that's where your mom and dad took you to church and you were born on the pew. You've got to have your own experience with God and become a child of God because God has no grandchildren. Now, I'm going to read this excerpt from his article because Brother Branham was quoting from it. And I I just want to share with you just a little bit from it where you can kind of see where he was coming from when he repeated and used Brother uh, Duplicit's statement on God has no grandchildren. You'll find this in in a full gospel businessman's voice magazine. But in his article, he he said every Gentile that came into the Christian church did so by repentance or conversion or being born of the Spirit. Everyone had a definite, very definite encounter with a living Christ, the resurrected Son of God. This record in Acts also shows that they received the Holy Spirit. And of this, Paul was so sure that when he met the disciples at Ephesus, he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? This revival continued and the church grew and Christianity swept the world of that time. Then some Jew or some Gentile began to reason. I was a Jew or a Gentile, whichever the case, and became a Christian by repentance for sin and conversion from Judaism or paganism again, whatever the case was. And so was my wife. But this boy of mine, he's never been a Jew. He's never been a pagan. He didn't grow up in the temple. He was born from Christian parents in a Christian home and was brought up in a Christian church. He is born a Christian. Now, this may be all true, but he has never been born of the Spirit. And that child is not repented as a sinner because he has had a strict training as the son of Christian parents. He was taught to try and live like a Christian for he is the son of God's children. The nicest thing you could say about him is that being the son of two of God's children who became a son, a daughter of God by regeneration, he is now a grandson of God. But there it is. God has no grandsons. So gradually the early church began to accept members into their churches. They're well-trained but unregenerated children until the pews were packed with members that had no encounter with Christ as Savior and much less a Pentecostal experience. They were not born of the Spirit, therefore could not be filled with the Spirit. God said it's not by power, nor by might, nor by, but by my Spirit. The, the Spirit found no more blood-cleansed hearts in the church to dwell in. And the church cooled off spiritually until even in the pulpit stood unregenerated but well-trained preachers that spoke the letter but had not the Spirit. When Emperor Constantine caused his whole army to be baptized into the church, the church was so already dead with a generation of unregenerated grandsons that these sinful soldiers fell right at home in the Christian society. Spiritually, the church was dead. 
But God didn't leave it at that. Time and time again, the Holy Spirit found a heart through which he could reach the ears of the people. And such men were the exception and were looked upon as fanatics. And usually they were persecuted or martyred. And there came, for instance, Martin Luther, and out of his ministry came the Reformation. And there seemed to come into, and there seemed to come into life a new church with membership that had a fresh and very real encounter with Christ and with the Holy Spirit. But however, it was not long before some of the Lutheran parents began to reason and say, but our children have never been born Roman Catholics. And they have never been born Lutherans. And right there was it began again. Grandsons for God in the Lutheran and Reformation churches. Then John Wesley in England. We had a Wesley revival when he came. And again, men and women were challenged to seek God and be born in the spirit. But after two or three generations, some parents began to reason. Our children have never been Anglicans are Lutherans, are Roman Catholics. They're born Wesleyans or Methodists and soon grandsons filled the church and the revival was over. So now you look at the condition of that church. What do you have in that church? You have sin of every kind. Things that are against the Bible, the word of God. And then he said, now at the very turn of this century came the Pentecostal revival. And all were called to repentance. And everyone that was born of the spirit was now encouraged to seek and receive the baptism in the spirit. With the New Testament evidence of speaking in tongues. Remember, this is a Pentecostal writing this. With manifestations of the Holy Spirit, such as prophecy and healing. No matter how the older churches objected, the revival spread. It was the same in Catholic countries as Protestant countries and and in pagan lands. And when people are born of the Spirit, they live. And when such people are filled with the Spirit, they receive power to become witnesses. But what is happening now, we find in the beginning of this revival 50 years ago, everyone was expected to be filled with the Spirit with a confirmation of tongues before they could hold any office in a Pentecostal church or a Pentecostal assembly. But today, the sons and grandsons of Pentecostal pioneers who are teaching in Sunday school and holding all kinds of offices in the local church without ever having a real baptism of the Spirit according to Acts 2 and 4, these waves, the waves of Pentecostal power and revival are receding fast. There is no There is a danger that in another generation, we may be just a Pentecostal movement without Pentecost. And that is without the experience, but still holding to the letter, the doctrine, just like the other revivals still emphasize some other other truth, but uh, never experience it. Revivals crystallize into societies and, and established churches when grandsons take over, but God has no grandsons. Now, Brother Branham would quote him like this, for example, in the message, Why in Hot Springs in 63, as David Duplissus once said, God don't have no grandchildren. That's right. Where our Pentecostal brothers are becoming, their children come into church and just say, 
Well, we're Pentecostal. Because Papa was. If Papa was a Pentecostal and got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you'll have to get it the same way Papa did. He don't have grandchildren. He just has sons and daughters, not grandsons and granddaughters. Just sons and daughters is true. So you got to do the same thing they did on the day of Pentecost. You got to have the same experience. You got to have the same thing they had. God don't never change his program. He never changes his ways. He just does the same thing all the time. The way he lays down his program, it must toe to that each time. It's got to be the same thing. And if you will do the same thing, the same results will come. Amen. So again, in question answer 64, he, address, he has answers a question in his own church. Do your children have to have an experience with the Holy Ghost or to have the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit? If they see the end time message, do they have the Holy Spirit? Now, this is what is commonly thought today. If they see the end time message, they already got it. And he, he replies to this question, everyone must have an experience. Your children cannot go in on no other way but the same way you do. They've got to be born again. There's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. They're all children. They must have it. You must have an experience with God to go in just the same as you. So, you know, we, we're living in a, a very hour of deception where that the devil is doing everything to destroy the children. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. They, they've set it up in schools. They've set it up in colleges to do the same thing they did in the days of Moses to try to kill the children as soon as they're born. Amen. They want to wipe God out of their lives, out of their mind. They want to reason it out. And turn them into a bunch of, uh, of reprobates. Amen. Now, you, you, know, you know, the first seed was the early church. That was a mature grain that could have been raptured, but were sown as a seed for an end time crop. Amen. So that seed church went in the ground and it began to decay. And, and part of that decay was men not getting the same experience and, the, and having the same vision that the early fathers had. And Jude was warning before the age would even end, you know, let us earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now, you know, this, this was even in that age, he was seeing a cooling off because the church was decaying. But I want you to know this church is not to go down in decay. It is not being planted. It is predestined for a rapture. Hallelujah. So there's going to be a grain taking a rapture that has no decay in it. I'd like you to look at some of the problems in the early church. Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but you could. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, except to be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
Now, I want you to notice this. They were bringing the messages of the age past. It would be like someone standing and saying, well, you know, if you believe the message, you got the Holy Ghost. Because why? That was the message of the evangelicals, the reformers. Just be baptized and believe on Christ and you got it. Amen. Or it would be like uh, someone coming and say, well, you got to speak in tongues to get the Holy Ghost. Because what? They are drawing from their past. I'm glad I don't have a past to draw from except what was in God's mind before the foundation of the world. Say, Brother Tim, you preach like you do because you were a Pentecost. I was born again in this message. I've never preached anything but this message. Amen. I've never been schooled in any of their teachings. Amen. My schooling that I have received is from the message of the hour. Amen. With this transforming power, that's where I got the Holy Ghost. Amen. In Acts 15 and 5, but there rose up a certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed saying that it was needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, this was a law men couldn't keep on their own. This was circumcision that was to no avail because now it had been fulfilled by the circumcision of the heart. You can be circumcised in the flesh all you want to in the foreskin of the flesh. That don't save you. Only the circumcision of the heart. So a corner had been turned. But I want you to know there were certain of the sect of Pharisees which believed. Now, my question has always been, why were there still Pharisees within the church? If they had got the new birth, they would have no longer been a Pharisee. They would have no longer been trying to bring the message of an age past. Circumcision was all right up to the day Jesus died. So why were they still Pharisees? They had missed a new birth. They had missed the Holy Ghost. That's why they were still Pharisees. And this is why we're having problems today. Even in the, around the ranks of the message, we still got people or a Baptist or Lutheran or whatever else they were came in and they try to hybridize the message with, with their past. And you can't mix it. That was good for that time. But it's not good today. Amen. Look, Paul, Paul would say of himself, he said, look, I was a Pharisee. Listen, Philippians 3 and 5, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrew that's touching the law, a Pharisee. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I counted all things as lo- but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them as dumb that I might win Christ. You see, this is a reflection of a new birth of a real baptism of the Holy Ghost that washes you from the sins of the, of the wickedness of false doctrine of the past. 
Amen. But you know, there are still those who, who are still evangelical in their beliefs. They have an easy believism, an easy believism mentality. They've been brought over as an unconverted Pharisee from Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian saying the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not an experience. Just accept the message and you got it. This is why that he would say to that first age, Revelation 2 and 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, again, you see, it wasn't the children losing it. It was the grandchildren. The church he's talking to. The church now, in general, has now lost that first passion. That first igniting of the spirit, that real experience with God, they've lost it. You see what the devil wants to do to us children? Take away that from us. Take that away. Remove it from us. Just have a bunch of grandkids in the church that are grandfathered into the church, you know, can do anything and live any kind of life. Listen, the very name Ephesus has a strange compound meaning in it. It means aimed at and relaxed. You see, they aimed at the high calling because when they had high aspirations at the, at the beginning of this age that it began with the fullness of the spirit. And then it, it was the depth of God. And I tell you, that's what God left us with, with a message. Come on, church. That was the depths of God. Amen. And we began with full aspiration, you know. We're going to be everything that word said we could be. But then, while they began to give way to a less watchful attitude, a less ardent following of Jesus Christ began to manifest itself as an omen that the future ages... In the future ages, the physical vehicle called the church would sink to the awfulness of the depth of Satan. Actually, what I read to you about was the church that started on the day of Pentecost that decayed into a Catholic church. Come on. Amen. They, they, They want to say we were the original. They started out but then brought in grandchildren. Men without the same vision, without the same passion, without the same experience that brings that passion. And they lost because they had aimed at the high calling and relaxed. Brother, we have aimed at a rapture. We've aimed at the change of the body. We've aimed at the fullness of his power. Don't let go of it. You see, it become relaxed and drifting. It left his first love. The tiny seed planted in the Ephesian age would one day grow into a spirit of error until all the foul birds of the air, I'm quoting from the church age book, you know, who would roost in its branches. So inoffensive to human reasoning would be that little plant or would appear to that new Eve. The new church, and again, she would be deceived by Satan. 
And the Ephesian age had presented to her the opportunity for God's best. And after a while, for a while, she prevailed and then she relaxed. And in that unguarded moment, Satan planted the seed of complete ruination. You know, you say, well, Brother Tim, how could the Catholic Church be, be there in the book of Acts? I just read it to you from Acts 15. It was men that come in without getting that same experience. And the first thing you know here, it's, it's like a, a vine. You know, the false vine twisting itself around the real plant. Now, he would come down to say, I have somewhat against you. You left us first, your first love. He said, now to realize this. To understand this, you must realize the Spirit is not speaking to the original saints of Ephesus alone. This message is to the entire age, which lasted about 120 years. Its message then is to all generations in that span. Now, history keeps repeating itself. And in the generations of Israel, we see the revival in one generation, only to see the fires fading in the next. In the third generation, the embers may be glowing slightly. But in the fourth, there may be no vestige whatsoever of the original flame. Then God lights the fire again, and the same process is repeated. It's simply the manifestation of the truth that God has no grandchildren. He's again quoting David Duplissus. Salvation is not passed on by natural birth. You start out with truly born-again believers. And when the next generation comes along, they are no longer just plain Christians, but they've taken on a denominational name and are now Baptist, Methodist, and so forth. That is exactly what they are to. They are not Christian. You have to be born of of the will of God, not the will of man to be saved. But these folks are coming together now by the will of man. And I don't say that some of them aren't right with God. Not to a minute do I say that. But the original fire has died down. They're not the same anymore. And I, and I just want to say that there's still maybe good people out there in that. We're not, we're not castigating them or condemning them. We're just saying that the original fire has gone down. They lose their passion. And that passion is one of the greatest evidences of a spirit-filled church. Aren't that to sink? Amen. They lose their passion. And that passion is one of the greatest evidences of a spirit-filled church. That fervent desire to please God, the passion to know his word, the cry for reaching out in the spirit, it all begins to fade. And instead of that church being on fire with the fire of God, It cools off and has become a bit formal. And that was what was happening back in Ephesus. They were getting a little bit formal. The abandonment to God was dying out. People weren't too careful about what God taught them as they began to be careful about what the world taught of them. That second generation coming on was just like Israel. They demanded a king to be like other nations. When they did that, they rejected God, but they did it anyway. That's the history of the church. When it thinks more of conforming to the world instead of conforming to God, it isn't long until you see them stop doing things they used to do and start doing things they wouldn't do initially. And 
And they changed their manner of dress, their attitudes, and their behavior. They get lax. That's what Ephesus means, relaxed and drifting. So the cycle of revival and death has never failed. But I'm telling you today that there are going to be a people. Could I say it to you? There is a people that is going to break that cycle. Where the rest of them had revival and death, there is a people leaving out of here with a revival. They'll still have a passion. They'll still have a drive within them. They'll still have an ambition to see the word reign in preeminence. All you have to do is recall this last move of God. And he's referring back now to the Pentecostals. The last move of God in the spirit when men and women dressed like Christians and went to church, prayed all night, took to street corners, wasn't ashamed of the manifestations of the spirit. They left their old dead churches and worshiped in homes or old store buildings. They had reality, but it wasn't too long a time until they began to get enough, enough money to build fine new churches. And they put in a choir and stood us singing unto God for himself. Now, Brother Branham built his own self a new church. He also had choirs. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how, what they did as they began to move out. Because in, in indebting the church, it, it made them to have to compromise for membership. I dare not preach on this. I'll lose that one. And we got this note to pay. And, you know, I don't want to offend so-and-so. That's why this church has always been debt free because I will not be enslaved to anyone. Amen. Amen. That's why we paid cash for every building because we won't be obligated to nobody. Nobody will pull the strings of this ministry. We'll preach what God put on our heart. We'll proclaim the word of God. We will do it without fear or favor. But he said, you know, they organized the movement and being ran it by man and soon they began to read books that weren't fit to read. They let down the bars and goats came in and took over and the cry of joy was gone. And the freedom of the spirit was gone. Am I talking to some of these message churches today? I think I am. Amen. Oh, they kept on with the form. But the fire had died down and the blackness of ashes is all about that is left. But you see, this is a word-born bride. She's not a harlot. She's a virgin to the word and she has precious virtues. And that virtue is to reproduce Christ, to bring forth sons and daughters of God, word sons who the signs follow. Word sons that are endowed with gifts. Word sons that have his power. They look like him. They talk like him. They believe like him. They cast out devils like him. They heal like him. They are in his image and in his likeness. And the church has been entrusted to bring forth his children. Remember, Brother Bradham tells us this in Invisible Union. It's a sermon that he would have preached in his own church, but he didn't have time. He was running out of time, and he said, I've got to preach this important message here at Life Tabernacle. I happen to be present 
in that service when many people walked out because of what he was preaching. What a sacred trust. What a responsibility to a woman. See why she's a type of the church which has the same responsibility as a woman has a sacred responsibility to her motherhood, to her virtues, to her husband. The church has the same sacred responsibility to prayer and to the word and to Christ. And Christ is the anointing. Just the same as a woman has responsibilities, the church has sacred responsibilities. She is a type. She has the same precious virtues by spirit given to her to preserve the spirit and the word. Notice what, not just preserve the word and the doctrine, but preserve the spirit and the word and never commit adultery with anything in the world. Stay virgin to the word as a woman is to stay virtuous to her husband. It's a sacred trust to honor her Lord's word above every man-made creed, wisdom, denomination there is. The church is given that trust. Now I want you to watch what the trust is. If they say, well, my church, he says, I don't care what your church believes. If it's contrary to the word, stay away from it. Then he explains and emphasizes what he means. The Bible said Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mark 16 said, these signs shall follow them that believe. If a church preaches different from that, don't you, you die to that thing. Be born again into the word of God. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's how far it was to go. These signs shall follow them that believe in all the world and every creature that will believe. See how we've got away from it, but she's responsible for it. Think about it. We at Evening Light Tabernacle are to be a chaste virgin to God. And preserve the word and the spirit. Amen. Amen. And the church is responsible to motherhood. To bring forth offspring of El Shaddai. Amen. Amen. Not offspring of the church. Because that's grandchildren. Offspring of El Shaddai. The almighty. You see that the church is bringing forth Children, but what kind of children? You see, Brother Bradham said she's impregnated with something. And it's because she's bringing forth members all the time. But she don't want any of them screaming, hollering, blabbering, Acts 238 miserable creatures she thinks they are. It would certainly embarrass her. It would ruin her and her educated, ethical, scientific society church that she belongs to here. They would throw her out at the next council. They, she can't have it. So she don't want to be impregnated with the word because that's the only kind that the word can bring forth. Born of the spirit of God. It has the spirit of God in it. No intellectual church joined creed going bobbed hair painted face. There's no such a thing as that in it at all. You don't find that in the word of God. You find an old fashioned, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled child. Born of the spirit of God. Screaming, hollering, shouting, praising God. Hallelujah. 
Amen. And another thing, notice what kind of children she's bearing. That tells what their papa is, whether it's the first Adam or the second Adam. If the church brings forth the child of the second Adam, he acts the second Adam's way of acting like they did on the day of Pentecost. That is a really true second Adam's children. Amen. Look at the trouble we're having in our land. Look at the Supreme Court of our land. Has had to had to had has actually had to tell women that not to kill their babies. Can you imagine the insanity? Can you imagine they have cast down Roe versus Wade and, and, and women are now rioting in the street, screaming, demanding the right to kill their children. And their pennyweights men are right behind them screaming. And they're all saying, it's my body. It's the woman's rights. And preachers are in the pulpit screaming, we don't want live-born children. Kill them in the womb. Let them be stillborn instead of Acts 2.38 shouting, blabbering, screaming, tongue-talking children. We don't want no such thing. We don't want live children. We want them dead, 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 dead. Listen, we all believe the word. You know, we want to, and if we believe all the word, we want all the spirit. Hallelujah. Now, there is a true church that will bring forth children that will nurse on El Shaddai, on Almighty God. As Brother Joe pointed out, there's 8,810 promises laying there for you. There's enough vitamins for healing, enough vitamins to destroy every spirit of the enemy, enough antibiotics in it to deal with pornography and sin and sex sin and habits of the world. Come on. There's enough power in it to energize a person, to give them power over sin and darkness. So there has to be a true church that will nurse from El Shaddai. And they nurse from both sides. I love that song they sang just a minute ago. Amen. You see, they nurse from both sides because the God of the old is the God of the new. Come on, somebody help me preach. Amen. Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the new. So they nurse from both sides. They are balanced. Both word and spirit. Drink it from both sides. Word and spirit. They're not deniers of the word and they're not deniers of the spirit. All the word. Yes. We believe in this. All the word. All the word. When we get back to being a word bride. All the word. You see... So we believe in his personal presence. We believe in the seven thunders and the revelation that was given. We believe that not some of the book is open. We believe every promise of God is open to us. That all the book is open. We believe in the mystery truths. But we believe in healing. And we believe. 
believe in miracles. We believe in holiness. And we believe in gifts of the spirit. We believe it all. And that's the bride of people who believes it all. Brother Brandon would say there's only one evidence of the spirit I know of and that's a genuine faith in the promised word of God and he promises it all. Everything from our healing to our salvation and there, and there is altar calls. Amen, come on. And there's prayer lines. I don't see no prayer line in the Bible. Well, what do you think they did? One come up for prayer for Jesus, to, for Jesus to pray for him. Another got behind him for his turn. Next one got behind that one. We still believe in prayer lines because we believe in casting out devils. Amen. Notice here the promised word of Malachi 4 turns our heart back to the faith of the Pentecostal fathers. Because Brother Branham would see her by vision. And he would see her coming out, that virtuous woman, in step with the word. Then he would see her degenerate into uh, awful women all the way down into Miss America. And then he would finally see that same bride come back again. And he said, what is it? She should be the same bride, the same kind, built out of the same kind of material that she was in the first place. He said, now read Malachi 4 and see if we're not to have a message in the last day that had turned the hearts of the children back to the fathers, back to the original Pentecostal message, word by word. And he says, brothers, we are here. And I want to say, we are here. We have been turned back. Listen, the Spirit of God will make you believe the message. But everything that professes to believe doesn't have the spirit. The same is true. The the spirit of God will cause you to shout or speak with tongues or dance in the spirit. But everything that speaks in tongues or dances and shouts isn't the Holy Ghost. And Brother Branham would deal with this when he's dealing with the passion, notice he would tell about uh, in Ezekiel how that Ezekiel would see the Holy Spirit going forth with a um, with a with a, uh, an ink horn and marking those who sighed and cried for the abominations that were done in the city. And let me just say before we go on, we, we can talk about sin. You know, it's abomination. We should be crying about the, all these children being aborted. We should cry about our laws, you know, being, uh, being uh, abused and, and stealing and robbing and, and raping and everything. We should cry. But I tell you, we ought to also be crying because the word of God's not being given preeminence. Because faith isn't in the church to heal the sick. And there ain't enough, there isn't enough of the atmosphere of the Holy Ghost to birth a son. Them are abominations. Listen, Jesus has nothing but sheep. I'm quoting from Brother Branham in question and answer 54. Ten years later, he picks up this same thing. He never changes in this. He says, the shepherd knows his sheep. Anyone here, anybody in here ever hear a goat cry? 
Brother, you better be a shepherd if you want to know the difference. A goat will cry just exactly like a sheep, uh uh-huh. Let an old billy goat get hung up out there and little sheep going on one side going ba-ba. They sound the same. He said, I've heard them down the altar just to crying and crying, oh God, sobbing away like that, oh God, and a goat all the time. That's right, shouting. I've seen them shout just as, uh, until they run across the floor and jump up and down and shout. Now you say, Brother Branham, you don't believe in crying? Don't get, take me wrong. Sure, I believe in crying, but that's no evidence. Because both cry. I've seen them shout just as hard as they can shout and just carry on like that. That's a long way from you. You know what I'm talking about. I've heard them speak with tongues and go out and live any kind of life, just do anything. There was no sign. You've heard me tell. You've heard me tell of, of, a, of a woman who had, was demon-possessed because of uh, that, that by the grace of God that we cast out, but she was, she was there, a Pentecostal girl that chased men. And, and lived, you know, one, I think she had four husbands and living with a fifth one. And when, when, I, came to, when I came to know her, and she, she was about to run out and marry that one and got convicted, come back, brother, said, Brother Tim, I got to have some help. I got a devil. And I went to praying for her, and she began to speak in other tongues. And I stood and watched that for a minute. I was just a young preacher myself still, probably in my 20s. And I said, Satan. You've hid behind tongues all these times. You, you, you brought this girl, you'd get one man and, and, and then leave him and then get her another and, and then go back and speak in tongues and you was all right. I've seen you before. Now, you're exposed. Come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. She bowed to me about seven times to the name of Jesus Christ and claps on the floor. Never to live that kind of life again. Delivered. That's the power of the gospel. But Satan will try to hide between, behind what seemingly is manifestations of the Spirit. Oh, yeah. I've seen them in my time where boys would come to the altar and, and I saw them as a, at least heard my parents talk about them when they were young Pentecostal boy. The girl wouldn't marry him because he had never got the Holy Ghost. So he comes up and speaks in tongues and, and gets the Holy Ghost and he goes out and lives a drunken life. Gets what he wants. You see, again, that was no sign. And Brother Brandon said, well, then you say you're against it. No, I'm not. I believe in speaking in tongues. It's God's gift in the church. If I took it out, I'd take part of God out. If I had, if I take my tongue out of my body here, I wouldn't have a complete body. The body of Jesus Christ has tongues in it. The body of Jesus Christ here has tongues. And, and you take it out, you take part of Christ out. And you still can't say that that's the body. Tongues is not the body. But it's part of it. But he said it's accepting the person, Christ Jesus, and then all these other things will come right with it and fit together. Now, you see, let, let every member in this body this morning, let this little group of people, if we could pull the curtains down alone on each side and every person in here receive a, a pers- the person of Christ Jesus, there'd never be a fuss. There wouldn't be an argument. There'd be perfect love. 
You'd still believe this or that and, and believe that, but it'd be full of love. See, Jesus said, by your fruit you will know them, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, gentleness. Now he said, I'm gonna give you my estimation of what I think the closest thing to an evidence that a man that is a Christian, that anything I know of, you know what it is? It's travail of soul. A person that's always so hungering and thirsting for God. They just simply, day and night, they can't stand it. They just gotta do something for God. They're full of love. They just so travail, travailing all the time. The Bible said, he that goes forth sowing in tears will doubtless return again rejoicing, bringing with him precious sheaves. Is that right? Now he said, if I said this morning uh, to this little group of people, he's talking to his church. Now look, and God would say, look, William Branham, I'm gonna make you answer for that group of people. What would you tell them? Now, do you want them all to shout? And he said, sure, I want them to shout. Now he's answering God. God's asking the question, do you want them to shout? Yes, I want them to shout. Do you want them all to speak with tongues? I want every one of them to. (sighs) Paul said that too. I would that you all spoke with tongues. Do you you want them to all dance in the spirit? I want all of them to. All right, well, very good. But what would you rather them do? I'd rather have a church that had such a burden on their heart for prayer, they stayed at this altar, would be here day and night and everything and in their house and was constantly in prayer and humble and trying to get people to God and making calls the hospital visiting the sick and trying to get people to come to church and do right. I'd rather have that than all of the other put together. Although the other is right, it belongs in the church. In other words, he said, I would rather see people with a passion for God than to speak in tongues, prophesy, dance in the spirit, but to have that passion. Notice what he goes on to say. And then speaking of an evidence, but if I had to have it, I'd put that soul travail first. Because if you got that, the other will take place. If you got that, if you just get so hungry for God, shouting will take place. If you get so hungry for God, speaking in tongues will take place. If you get so hungry for God, you know, and just keep on hungering and keep yourself and you go to, but now remember, if you see yourself getting indifferent, then there's another spirit trying to work itself in there. So you see, this is what he didn't want to see, an indifferent spirit. Well, I don't care. Hope we hurry through church today. I'll take it or leave it reading my Bible. Praying, it's an option. Winning souls, oh, I ain't telling nobody about this. Indifference. Indifference about holiness. Indifference about church attendance. Are you with me? Amen. If you, that's another spirit trying to work in. He said, I can prove by the Bible that the first time the angels of, of God went over the land to seal the, 
with the Holy Ghost, he see, only sealed those who sighed and cried for the abominations done in the city. Ezekiel 9 chapter, is that right? Set a seal on the forehead of those who sighed and cried for the abominations done. I want to ask you a question. What if it would take place if the Holy Ghost went through Jeffersonville, New Albany, Louisville, to seal those this afternoon who would be at home? Now watch, here's their zeal. God send a revival. Here's the zeal. Here's the passion. Here's what they're praying about. God send a revival. What ought to be the passion of Holy Ghost filled men and women? God, we gotta have that revival. All revival's over. That's for the world, but you can have your own revival. Hallelujah. Amen. You can have that stir within you. Oh God, look at the sins of the city. Isn't it terrible? Oh God, oh, won't you send some revival? So hungry for meeting. Send some good preacher. Send someone. Oh Lord, let that the Holy Ghost. Now where would he seal? Think of it. Now, this is the same evidence that he points to in 1964 after the seals. So it didn't change. And he said, just let me give you a twister on who has the Holy Ghost. Raise your hand. Said, oh, I'll see if you have it. The Bible said they had the Holy Ghost sighed and cried day and night for the abominations done in the city. How, how many hands would go up? How many of you can't rest at night? So full of joy and power of God and so sad for the people that's lost. That day and night you weep and cry for the abominations. What, are, what about your own self and your own experience? I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to point out something. That our passion must continue. You know, how long has it been since you yourself drank from El Shaddai and received that energizing force coming down to your mortal body, quickening. Can't rest day and night so full of joy and the power of God. I know a lot of people, you know, that are, that are missing that. So sad for the people that's lost day and night. You cry for the abominations. Amen. Who would that be in the city? Amen. How many of that's in the church? That's what the Bible said Holy Spirit evidence was. Amen. In other words, people longing for God. Send a revival. Anoint the preacher. Anoint me in service. Anoint me in my home. Fill me again, Lord. I've got to have you. I need you today. Yesterday was good. I want another outpouring. Give me another drink. I'm a fretting child. Don't think for a moment that it ain't that way in your life. Because why? You hate sin. You don't want to be that way. You want to be cleansed, purged, a real son of God, not even an evil thought or anything. Anything will so wound you. Why? The Holy Spirit is there. Saying that's sin, that's wrong. And the devil's trying to come along and say, but that's you, that's you, it's not me. Amen. I'm 
dead to that. I'm no more that. This is not me. I'm a son of God. I've been birthed by the Spirit. I'm not of the world. I belong to Christ. That's those he marks. When Joshua entered the land of Canaan, he said, don't let one of them live. It's just a cute little baby. I'm still quoting from Brother Brown. I'm reading from him. A Malachite or Amorite, kill it. You remember, he'll grow up to be an adult Amalekite. He'll pollute the camp. And when little things come in like that disagreeing with the word, get rid of the thing. Notice that. You see, if the sealing angel, now I'm going I'm to get a little tough here. You might think this is a little stern. But the sealing angel, the Holy Ghost, if it can't put his seal of approval on your movie, kill it. If it can't put his seal of approval on your video game, kill it. If it can't put his seal of approval, listen, he's marking those, come on. And if it can't put seal of approval on your dress, kill it. On your hair, boy or girl, kill it. Friendship with certain people. Kill that friendship. Come on now. If you love the world or the things of the world, the love of God isn't in you. And so you see, the passion is, the drive is, is drive out every inhabitant of the land that would hold me back from my promise. So I'm going to be as holy as God is holy, righteous as he is righteous, spirit-filled as he is spirit-filled, have the faith of God in my heart. Come on, somebody help me preach. He said, well, they're good people. I don't care how good they are. If they're contrary to that word, get it out of you. It's growing a little Amalekite. Well, I'll tell you what, this denominational person, he's a good, he's going to go to heaven. Well, maybe he will, but are you counting yourself just going to heaven or are you going to be part of the bride in the New Jerusalem? Don't let anything of the world influence you. Friends, school, teaching, whatever else, let only the word of God have preeminence in your life. Amen. Remember, anything that denies the word, stay away from it. Have nothing to do with it at all. Oh, yeah. So he said, he spoke about sign and crying for the abominations. He said, I can, I can show you 10,000 speaking in tongues to one that's really burdened for sin that can't pray an hour. But did you know the Bible said to mark only those that sighed and cried for the abominations done in the city? That was the Holy Spirit coming to mark the people. Said the destroying angel, go forth and destroy everything that doesn't have a mark upon it. And the mark of God is the Holy Ghost, is the seal of God. Where are them people that's interested? I can show you people that jump up and down crying church. I can show you people shout and run over the building. I can show you people that are prophesying and come to pass. I can show you those who speak in tongues and run up and down the building and say things that actually interpret and come to pass. But where is that person that sighs and cries? Where are the people that the word has preeminence, that believes the full word. 
Where is that burdened soul? Now, and I just want to say, what Brother Branham was describing used to be the case. People did jump and shout and run all over the building prophesying, yet didn't live it at home or work. It was so superficial that religion didn't go home with them. It stayed in the church. It wasn't lived through the week. But I'd like to say in 2022, not so anymore. Oh, that may be so in a few charismatic or Pentecostal churches. But we have so advanced in Laodicean darkness until churches are now so cold. Their spiritual thermometer is 50 below zero. And there hadn't been a shout or a speaking in tongues nor a true interpretation in so long the new generation has never seen it, much less experienced it. Now, don't hang up on me. Where are those signs crying, God send a revival? I'm so hungry for a meeting. God, look at the sins of the city. Isn't it terrible, God? Won't you please send a revival? God, send some good preacher. Did you notice he, it wasn't uh, sign and cry, kill them all, God. Wipe all them hypocrites off. Kill all them sodomites. Burn them all with fire. Take me into heaven. That's not what he said. You're sighing and crying. Send them a revival. Turn their hearts. Deal with their soul. Change their attitudes. Quicken that seed. If there's a seed in them, quicken them. Amen. A burden for those that are lost. Not smug and it's us four and no more. We got me and my little family saved and that's all I care about. You see, if you got that passion, you get so hungry for God, shouting will take place. I've never shouted, Brother Tim. You've never been hungry enough. You get an appetite for, well, you say, how, did, how, how in the world, Brother Tim, I ain't been hungry enough? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you're satisfied on things of this world. But when you start having a passion for God and a hunger within your soul, There'll be a deep calling unto the deep. Amen. And and your religion will go to work with you. Hello? Amen. It'll go to school with you. It'll live at home. The children will see it. It'll jerk you up out of your lazy chair on Wednesday night and bring you to church. You can't get enough of it. You just don't fill up on Sunday and you can miss the next three. Hello, somebody. You're not hung up on me. You see, Brother Manham even gave us an example of living it. He said, he told him hunting squirrels, the limit was six. One of the brothers killed nine. And he asked, where is the Holy Ghost conviction that would tell them they were doing wrong? In other words, you're to live a model Christian. No wonder our kids don't want what we got. Your attitude toward Christ has a great impact on them. Hello? You know, I I, I realize we got people with passion and we got people with drive. I can look at them all over this building, but I'm telling you, Laodicea is creeping up on us. 
until the passion isn't there even the way it used to be. As we see the delay that is coming, that is here, where men are saying the Lord is delayed, is coming. And therefore, we begin lax in our, in, our, in our attitude. We get an attitude. Well, you know, I've worked so hard, I don't feel like going to church. Let's go camping. You know, it's, and so this Sunday is camping, and next Sunday it's fishing, and the next Sunday it's turkey hunting, and the next Sunday it's deer. Sorry you didn't bring no eggs today. Maybe you're sorry. Even some of our retired folks are semi-retired. You watch them. They're home all week. Sunday rolls around and they're gone. No respect to the house of God. No respect to honoring the resurrection. No travail of soul to come praying, expecting, believing for miracles of healing for the sick or for the lost. No, no coming together to help bring an atmosphere. You see, Christian isn't what you say, it's what you live and what you do is an example. You see, and look, look, let me just go over this again. This is the evidence that Brother Brandon said that we should be, have, first off, is a passion. A passion to drive for Christ, for his word, to give it all preeminence. Now, the evangelicals took for their evidence and confession, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Listen, I sat with a Baptist man. He was a good old boy. He was now, you know, getting ready to marry for his third or fourth time. And she was a girl that had been married before, and all of this was against the Scripture, and even against his Baptist teaching and so on like that. But, you know, he was talking to me about it. And, and he... He's puffing on one cigarette, lights the other and does that. Three weeks before, he's been arrested for drunk driving. Had spent a few days in the slammer. And he sits there and he looks at me sincerely. Brother Tim, I am not here to talk about my salvation. I am secure in Christ. I have believed on him. He is my Lord and Savior. And I am ready to go to heaven this minute. If the rapture can take, would take place, I am ready to go. You know why? Because he had believed a lie. That just saying Jesus is my savior was all that was needed. And there was no change. I wonder how many are believing that lie around the message. We say Branham, Branham and we're saved. The devils confess Jesus too. They acknowledge him as son of God. What have we got to do with thee, thou son of God? They recognize him as son of God. They believe God is one and tremble. Amen. Pentecostal, full gospel, rely on, I spoke in tongues. So that's how they know they're a child of God. Yet you can speak with tongues of men and angels and like charity, the love of God, which is, is his basic nature. People in the message community, let's deal with us for a minute. You know, trouble ain't out there anymore. It's right here. Take the thought as proof of their sonship. We know all the mysteries. I got, I got a revelation. I, I understand. We understand all the mysteries. And yet many of them lack that elementary basic nature of God 
And they still have the love of the world and the things of the world. All the while claiming to be so grown up and mature sons that they don't even know how to pray the prayer of faith anymore. You see, Brother Branham couldn't be against shouting and dancing in the spirit without being against the Bible. He couldn't be against speaking in tongues and signs and wonders without going against the Great Commission. The Great Commission says, that, you know, go into all the world, preach the gospel. In my name, you will cast out devils. That's heal the sick. Amen. In my name, you will cast out devils. In my name, you will speak with new tongues. He couldn't be against that without being against the Great Commission. You see, they misunderstood him when he preached because Satan was there to twist his words in their ears and distort his truth. After preaching for future home, I'll give you an example. People are so carnal. In fact, just go up to the seals and when he mentions 500 or 700 instead of 7,000, everybody made something spiritual. That did he got so many questions. Is it going to really just be 700 in the rapture? And Brother Brown said, no, I made a misstatement. The Bible says 7,000. Well, I still believe it. And after preaching future home, people would actually be so carnal that they would have to ask Brother Branham a question. Brother Branham, because he uses the illustration, you know, he said that the, the, the New Jerusalem like going to be 1,500 miles. That'd be like from here to Florida and over here, there, and up to Maine and, and there. And, and what did they do? They turned around and asked Brother Branham, do we all have to live within that 1,500 miles to make the rapture? They misunderstood when he pointed out the impersonation of the Holy Ghost by depending on speaking in tongues instead of a changed life until they totally done away with speaking in tongues. And question answered, Brother Branham explains all that. Yeah, and just what I just was telling you. I, I got that from, this, from what he had said. He said, now... Then if people say, well, then Brother Branham, you don't believe we ought to speak with tongues. He said, then you get it exactly backwards from what I just said. I believe you should speak with tongues. And some of you people, and you get these, I get these like back here, 1,500 miles, you see, being at the tabernacle. You see, all that Satan was there to twist those words. And when he explained his position on tongues, it's not the evidence of the Holy Ghost and that you could speak with tongues without having the indwelling spirit. And all of this is true. The same as you can shout and not have it. Then people dismiss shouting, speaking in tongues, saying Brother Branham didn't believe in the gifts and we're beyond that. And if you desire to have what the Bible declares is our inheritance, you're just a baby. You're immature. And say, because when we are mature, we put away childish things like that of prophecy and tongues and gifts of the Spirit. I like to deal with that for a moment. We're still teaching, and it ain't two o'clock yet. First Corinthians 13 8. Charity never faileth. Now let's talk about charity. This is love, divine love which Brother Branham said is the Holy Ghost. When he went beyond the curtain of time, he said, this is the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right. That is, uh, God is love. Amen. 
when you receive the love of God, it gives you love for truth. So you won't get a strong delusion then because you've got a love for truth. Amen. When you get the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, you've got a love for the things of God. You've got a hatred for the things of the world. Come on. Amen. It's the basic nature of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So charity, that love, the Holy Ghost, will never fail. But whether they're prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And when I thought as a child, I speak as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish thing. And that's what they say. Oh, but we've become men. You see, Brother Tim, you're using a whole wrong type of using drinking from El Shaddai and we're babies. Oh, no, I'm not. That's a different type. Because we will nurse on El Shaddai until our bodies are changed. And until we are transformed in a moment twinkling of an eye, we're going to be nursing from the Holy Ghost daily. Hour by hour. Are you with me? Now let me just read it again, a little plainer translation. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, charity never faileth, but whether it be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether it be tongues, they shall cease. Whether it be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So here we come right here just a moment. Even knowledge will vanish away when that which is perfect has come. And then he sums it all up in verse 1 of 14, which is the next Continue the same thought. Follow after charity, seek love, and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. So after he said all that he said about love, he comes and says, but follow after love, but desire spiritual gifts, and but rather that you may prophesy. Oh, we don't read that one. We X that one out. So let's just go back. And I'm going to start at verse 8. And let's try this. And this is another translation. But I think it's helpful. Love will never become obsolete. You see, in heaven, God will still be there. Now, as far as the prophetic gifts, they will not last. Unknown languages will become silent. And the gift of knowledge will no longer be needed. Gifts of knowledge and prophecy are partial at best, at least for now. Think about the prophecy. Think about the prophecies of, of Brother Branham. When, when he spoke of, of um, let, let's just say, the driverless car. And this is a prophecy of it. Think about how incomplete that is. Did he tell you what year? Come on, somebody. It didn't tell you all the details. It told you it would come. Didn't say when. Didn't say who would be the president. You see, prophecy, it was in part. It didn't give all the information. Now watch. Love will never go. Gifts of knowledge, verse 9. Gifts of knowledge, prophecy are partial at best, at least for now. 
But when the perfection and fullness of God's kingdom arrives, all parts will end. When I was a child, I spoke or thought and reasoned in childlike ways, as we all do. But when I became a man, I left my childish ways behind. For now, right now, we can only see a dim and blurry pictures of things as when we stare into a polished metal, because that's what they had for a mirror. Polished a piece of metal till they had a reflection. But it was dim and it was blurry. And he says, I realize that everything I know is only part of the big picture. But one day when Jesus arrives, we will clearly see clearly face to face. And that day I will know just as I've been wholly known by God. But now faith, hopes, and love remain. And these three virtues must characterize our lives. And the greatest of these is love. So in everything, verse one, strive to love, passionately seek the gifts of the spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. What? So why wouldn't we follow after love as Paul admonishes to and desire spiritual gifts, but rather to prophesy, foretelling and speaking as the voice of God. Somebody has to be doing what the Bible said. He said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. My sons and daughters shall prophesy. The old will drink dreams. The young will see vision. And this spirit will be upon men and women. Upon all the church. Amen. So you see, this whole deal of when we are perfect is not now. Right now we need prophecy. We need the voice of God to speak out. Right now we need the workings of the Holy Spirit. But when we are transformed and they're on the other side, then we won't need that anymore because we will know fully as we are known. Don't get it out of picture. Paul was talking about the future when we are changed. That's when that which is perfect will come. Oh, you said, well, Brother Tim, but Brother Branham said, now we have the perfect interpretation of, of the word of God by divine inspiration or vindication. And so therefore, jumping up and down and trying to speak with tongues like kids is done away with. And it is. We have the perfect word given to us by divine vindication. And trying to speak with tongues is over with. Jumping up and down like a kid and trying to speak in tongues is finished with. That's Babylonian. That's confusion. Are you with me? So why wouldn't, shouldn't we follow after love as Paul admonished us to and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that we were prophesying because as I said, somebody's got to finish the work. And it takes more than the promise. The word is the promise. But there has to be a faith to anoint that promise so we can give voice to it. While we're beyond the gifts of the Spirit, you know what the gifts of the Spirit is faith? Do you know what the gifts of the Spirit is healing? Guess what the resurrection is going to be? A healing. Guess what the body change is going to be? A massive, total divine healing. We're not going to be beyond that until we are in perfect bodies and then we will have perfect knowledge. What did Sharon Rose tell Brother Branham? Things he didn't know. We're not babies here. 
It's like you preached it, and he hadn't preached it yet. This is heaven. He went there as a mortal. And as a mortal, he didn't know all things. And so he's visiting there as a mortal, but Sharon Rose knows a lot of things he don't know. Look at beyond the curtain of time. Do you eat here? No, we don't eat here. Well, why didn't he know that? He was a mortal. But they knew it. One day Jesus will come and you'll be judged by what you preached. All of these things, everything as he went there, he, he was getting knowledge, you know, as a mortal going there. But when you step from mortal into immortality, in theophany, theophany is a word form. And so therefore you will know all things. Amen. Now, let me just tell you, there has to be a faith to anoint the word. We're not going to meet devils. We are meeting devils and we are casting them out. Why? Because we are once fulfilling the great commission. Recently, we had a prayer line here. How many were healed in that prayer line? Raise your hand. Oh, looky there. We got hands lifted up here. The people healed in that prayer line. What was we doing? Casting out devils. Amen. These demons are real. They push our kids into porn, to drinking, to lying, to cutting themselves, and even suicide. Amen. There's all kinds of, of demons. There are all different kinds of feminine abusers of themselves, of mankind, fornicators, porn addicts, drunkards, all kinds. And they have a right to stay as long as sins are unconfessed. But when sins have been repented of, the devil has no right to stay. Amen. And you cannot find the cure until you find the cause. And the cause is always unrepentance. The reason people don't get the baptism of the Holy Ghost is they didn't fully repent. That's always the cause. You know, desperate people are bringing their children all the way from across the seas because of situations in their lives. And that's a different, it's just like in the days of Bible, I brought, your, I brought my lunatic child to, to your disciples. They couldn't cure him. And that's a condition of too many message churches today. They cannot cure them. So they try psychology instead. Try easy believism. And they continue right on the sin. They claim the mystery of the baptism of the Holy Ghost without sensation, but that's not all of it. But the person of Christ performing in you the same works that he did. Come on. Amen. So just perform the works that Jesus did. He spoke in tongues. He prophesied. He cast out devils. He healed the sick. He worked miracles. He opened the ears of the deaf and the eyes of the blind. Just do what Jesus did. Amen. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the person of Christ. Listen, performing in you the works that he did. Are you still with me? Now, these are worse than Pentecostals. They're weaker than Baptists. They're more faithless than a reprobate Campbellite preacher who say the days of miracles are past. The same type that opposed Brother Branham and F.F. Bosworth and pointed their fingers in his face and God refused their picture to be taken and instead vindicated a prophet. 
So, well, today, Brother Tim, we got the interpretation of the divine word of God. Well, okay, when we need a devil cast out, where is your perfect word now you claim to have? Well, Brother Branham said that we have it with divine, in, divine vindication. You claim to have perfect interpretation of the word, then where's divine vindication? You see, we, you, you see, again, divine vindication, not sensation, divine vindication, not something you worked up, divine vindication. Are you with me? Amen. What, what, what you have is still a powerless religion whose only weapon is argument. Now, so again, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians says that which is impossible, when that which is perfect has come, that which is part shall be done away with. So all these little things like jumping up and down like a kid trying to talk in tongues and all these other things, when that which is perfect. But now in the same sermon, Brother Brandon says this now, in the same sermon, I, he says, I would like, I would that every member of my church spoke with tongues. I would like for them to do that. And I believe if you would ask God, God will grant it to you. So the same what? The same sermon that he says, jumping up and down like a kid trying to speak with tongues is over because now we have the perfect interpretation of the word. In the same sermon, he turns around and says, well, did everybody hear spoken tongues? Hmm. Well, Brother Tim... Here's the deal. We would rather have perfect love than any divine gift. Well, okay. I'm having trouble finding perfect love or any divine gift. Where's your display of divine love that makes a bull go lay down and hornets back to their nest, that makes demons fall at your feet? We have perfect love, and now all the gifts are on the shelf. How many times does the devil get to use that? You know, how the devil loves to twist the prophet's words. That was never what the prophet said. He never taught that. That now tongues, interpretation, prophecy, discerning the spirits, working the miracles, the gift of healing, gift of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith. And all of these are now laid on the shelf. That's what's being taught around the world. So here's what he said. And then Jesus came, 1957 quote, in his church, Jeffersonville. And after this morning, the Holy Spirit so beautifully came down and bathed in us in his great beauty. I was just inspired to speak them words and say some glorious day that all the gifts that is in the church will just be set aside on the mantle as it was. And the Holy Spirit himself will take the church in such control of divine love until the sick will be healed, the blind will see, the lame will walk, without hands being laid on them. It'll be one great big unity. Oh, so when this great divine love comes, 
and sweeps over the building, blind eyes will come open. Deaf will hear, lame will walk without even hands being laid on them. Now, when in the world is it going to be that we get this great outpouring of divine love that puts gifts on the shelf? When, are we, when is that going to happen? Say, so it's already happened. Well, it happened. That ain't true. When is this going to happen? You see, in the message before where, that he's referring to, he was speaking about, and you can go listen to the sermon before this one, that right now signs and wonders are done through laying on a hand because of preaching, because of preaching. But one day when the, when the day of preaching is over and the last one has come in and it's over, then these wonderful gifts will be laid on the mantle and the love of God, which is the Holy Ghost, will come with a higher standard than all the gifts and love and will Love will just settle over the people, and in that great outpouring of in that great outpouring of love, every sickness will flee, every blind eye will be opened. Well, this ain't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Let me tell you, here's what the prophet said about that great outpouring, because divine love is the Holy Ghost. Do we agree with that? The hour that we're living in, oh God, the world is falling apart. There hangs in the hangers bombs. There hangs the things to do just exactly. The church is ready. She's sealed in, ready to come. There will be a big outpouring of the spirit. Yes, sir, to grab that church and take her into the skies. Exactly, because Christ's ministry is in the bride, which is a supernatural body of his on the earth. His spirit is living his life right out until him and the church become one in the wedding. Amen. Amen. This great outpouring of love will do away from... from you, you. Listen, on that day, there will not be anybody waving a wand or a hand going out to the graveyard and raising the dead. There won't be a preacher laying hands on you and say, gray hair, come back the right color. Amen. Come on. Divine love, the Holy Ghost, will so come down in an outpouring that the dead in Christ has been dead for 2,000 years will rise completely, totally restored. This is what he said. The dynamics of this church would be a refilling of the Holy Ghost. We have worked it in a small measure. But when it comes in its fullness, missing limbs will be restored. Amen. Your old eyeball, your fake eyeball will pop out of your head and your new one will come in. A God-given one. False teeth will fall out and big, great big new ones coming back in. Gray hair will come back the right color. Amen. Your old artificial knee, you won't need it anymore. And you'll be dancing around in a new body. Hallelujah. What will it be? An outpouring of divine love, the Holy Ghost. And every gift will be laid on the mantle as it was. That's when every gift will be laid on the mantle. You see, that's the thing that devil tries to do to twist it. He tries to make you make things that are for the future and try to make them now. 
That's why the era demons worked in the early church saying the days that, that the resurrection was already past. They were taking the words of Paul that Paul used and positionally said, listen, you're resurrected in Christ, you're raised from the dead. And they took that and preached it and spiritualized it until nobody now believed in the resurrection. They were preaching the physical resurrection was over. These same demons say, the millennium's already here. The gifts are already on the mantle. That's a devil. When that perfect love, the full power of the Holy Ghost comes on the church, every sickness will go. Every missing limb restored. And we, now get ready for this. This is going to be rough. Tighten up your belt. Seat belt. Rough hair. Pilot's coming on. This is going to be rough. Watch out. When that perfect love, when, when that perfect love, the full power of the Holy Ghost comes upon the church, every sickness will go, every missing limb restored, and we, with one accord, will all speak in tongues. Woo! You didn't say that, Brother Tim. Yes, I did. You don't know that? You think you're going to be speaking English? Or French, no rapture day. We won't be talking an earthly language anymore. We'll all be speaking a heavenly language. Hallelujah. Did you know Brother Branham said in the millennium ahead, we would all speak in tongues of a heavenly language. It won't be a flag of America over here and a flag of France over there and a flag of this, but there'll be one flag. Hallelujah. That's the flag of the cross. And there we will all speak not a Babylonian language, but we'll speak in a heavenly language. And I quote, but there's one kingdom that we believe that's coming. The Lord Jesus Christ has set up an everlasting kingdom and all the nations of the world that say will live in that kingdom. There'll be one flag, one nation, one people speaking one language and that's the heavenly language. Hallelujah. You talk about supernatural friends. This church is a supernatural church. Amen. Brother Branham even said, now this is what he said, and faith is our victory to his own church. He says, if you went to a foreign country, he said, you wouldn't try to learn their slang. He said, you think you'd be trying to do is learn a few words of that language there, maybe as much to say, how do you do? Probably for most of us is, where can I eat? But nevertheless, he said, you'd be trying to learn a few words of that language, of that country. And much to say, how do you do? And I think it would behoove Christians today, more today, if they were trying to learn some heavenly language. 
the praises of God that we're going to sing over there and enjoy. And the people that does not believe in shouting, what would you do when you get over there? You would be out so out of place. Better get faith and overcome now. For faith is the victory that overcomes. And then he went on to explain how to learn that heavenly language. You do it by surrendering yourself so much to him, yielding and submitting until it flows out of you until you're quickened. Oh, that was before the seals, Brother Tim. Okay, Easter seal, 1965. And this, and you're quickened. And this quickening power brings your body into a raptured condition already. What? Quickening power brings your body into a raptured condition already. Notice the Pentecostal people up there when they got quickened by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. That Pentecost, those Pentecostal group up there on the day of Pentecost received their abstract deed from God. Sure, it glorified their soul. They screamed. They saw tongues of fire separated on each other. And it so quickened their body. Listen, quickened their body in a pre-rapture condition. Watch what he said. Till they couldn't speak in an earthly language anymore. It quickened their body to a heavenly language, the place they are going to. Amen. Amen. Quickening powers shook their mortal bodies until their entire mortal language was transfigured, transformed into an immortal language. What a quickening power. If the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in your mortal body, it shall also quicken your mortal body. We are quickened by the power of the living God. Tongues quicken to a heavenly, new heavenly language to speak them, a rapturing up, raising up into a different atmosphere than what they had ever lived. And also that new quickening life to them. Then it come to them. It quickened their language. They spoke in new tongues. Oh, yes. Now watch them. It was designed to give them, after this abstract, designed to give them every promise that was on the ground. I say, why stop at tongues? Why don't we take everything? Pentecost wanted to stop at tongues and make a denomination out of it. But why don't we take everything? Come on. Every promise on the ground. Every promise on the grounds of God's word that was promised in the Bible. That quickening power was given to them to quicken that promise to them. Therefore, they laid hands on the sick. They were healed. They spoke in new tongues. They'd done great signs and wonders because that was in God's promise. And when Jesus died to redeem that back to them, the grounds that belonged to sons of God, he demonstrated what God was. How dare we to socialize that and put it in an organization? We have no right to it. How dare we just say that's just for Azusa Pentecost? It wasn't for them. It's for us. It's the Holy Spirit today hunting out honest hearts that believe that message. Everything in the Bible that was promised is that believer. And when you accept it in its fullness, somebody with me. When you accept it in its fullness and God knows that you do, he gives you the abstract to that. And then every promise that's made is in your possession and the Holy Spirit is there to quicken that to you. What kind of people should we be? How wonderful to see the great Holy Spirit here to do that power. Think of it. When the Holy Spirit 
Holy Ghost itself is here to bear record of this hour. Jesus Christ said so. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How dare any man to wipe that out of there? The works that I do shall you do also, John 14, 12. These signs shall follow them that believe. That is assurance. And when we see a group of people sitting together and those signs manifest themselves, that is the assurance that the abstract is there to vindicate that that's property of God. Hallelujah. Amen. You say, well, Brother Tim, but <laughs> that was still full gospel businessman meeting. He's talking to Pentecostal. Uh, so it was a Pentecostal group, and he was just kind of uh, kissing up to them. Oh, well, let's tell you. Then what about the last Easter message to his own church? It is the rising of the sun. Notice at Pentecost, their bodies were quickened to a new life. Look at that little bunch of cowards. Oh, but they had the mechanics, but they were sitting back there and said, oh, I'm afraid of them. I'm afraid to go out and make a claim because all of them are big bishops and things out there. I'm, I'm so afraid and priests and, and the, the, them priests and things. I'm afraid to make that claim, afraid to say I believed on him. I can't do it. But all of a sudden, the dynamics come. And what it do, it not only filled their spirit inside, but it quickened their mechanics. Their bodies were quickened. They were no more cowards. They went right out in the face of those people and said, yes, sir, you men of Judea, you that dwell in Jerusalem. When before the dynamics came, they were just mechanics. You men, see, you men that dwell in Jerusalem, let us be known to you, hearken to my words. These are not drunk as you suppose. I'm one of them. This is that, and I'll show you what it is. It's the scripture. This is that, and I've always said, if this ain't that, let me keep this till that comes. I'm going to stay with the prophet right there. If this ain't that, let me stay with this till that comes. Amen. No, this is that spirit that was spoken of. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, said God. I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. See, the dynamics come into the mechanics. They wasn't afraid no more. Some of you women are afraid. Some women will laugh at you for having long hair or quit wearing makeup. Some of you men are afraid your organization will throw you out when you baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. And spiritual baptism, where you, you need to close yourself in the upper room till the dynamics come. It changed them. It quickened them. It made them different. They were changed people from then on. It quickened them from an old life of being a coward to, to martyrdom. Uh, to be like the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. They faced martyrdom, nailed to the cross, crucified upside down, burnt, thrown in the lion's den. No more cowards about them. Death had no victory over them at all. Dynamics was in the mechanics. It quickened their mortal bodies. Now here's another thing. For proof. I'm quoting. Now here, listen. Now listen. Here's another thing for proof. It so quickened them in such a way. Do you know what? They were lifted up to heavenly places and their mortal bodies was so quickened until their language changed. It quickened their language. That's what the Bible said. And their mortal bodies being quickened, their language was quickened. Their thoughts were quickened. Their spirits were quickened. Their life was quickened. They were quickened. All together, they tried to talk and couldn't talk anymore in human languages. They were so 
quickened up in the presence of God till they spoke in new tongues, a heavenly language. Whew, what a quickening power. If the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, oh, hallelujah, it'll quicken your mortal body. It'll make you do things you wouldn't do before that was full, so full of quickening power then. Your body ain't subject to sin anymore. Your desires. What did they do? They spoke in another language. The Bible said they spoke in every tongue under heaven. Could you imagine them old mortal bodies that's in there? Well, I don't know whether I can believe this or not. And all at once it was so quickened till the bravery of the line of the tribe of Judah fell into them over that waving sheep, sheaf. And that eagle come to call its own and they love not their lives and death. And there's going to be more who give their life's blood for this Holy Ghost gospel in this crimson flood. And the sun has got to be revealed again in the bride. In the last day, the quickening power has to come. Quicken them, uh, them out of these dead denomination creeds to the living word of God. It quickened them to new life. It does the same thing for us now. Notice they were so quickened in that quickening power. And Brother Brandon says, listen close now. I'm trying to show you the quickening power wasn't only in their soul, but it was all over them. Not only the dynamics come in to quicken, but it quickened the mechanics. You see what I mean? They were so quickened until their tongue began to speak in another language. They were so quickened by the power of the resurrection of Christ uh, uh, with quickening power till they laid their hands on the sick and they got well. It quickens your mortal body. They were healed by laying on their hands. And the Holy Spirit quickened their fellowship together with God till they were so quickened in the presence of God that when a person died and that soul had gone off, it called him back to life again. Amen. Glory said, I'm feeling religious. That's right. Quicken. Not only was his resurrection power for himself, but whosoever will to this predestinated seed that's laying there quicken, quickens the mortal body. Lay hands on the sick, they recover. They prayed in the spirit, they saw vision. They called the dead back to life. That's right, quicken their mortal bodies. That's what the Holy Ghost did then. That's what the Holy Ghost will do now. That's what the prophet was preaching. We have received quickening power. The Holy Ghost says, Shaddai is here to energize the bride, to fill him with his life and his power. Hallelujah. Now, how long are we going to nurse on El Shaddai until our bodies are changed? It's not a one-time nursing. It's a power for every day. It's an inexhaustible resource. Brother Brandon said, when you're filled with the Spirit, here's one of the best signs I know. You're so in love with Christ and believe every word he says to be the truth. That's the evidence you have the Holy Ghost and your life is so full of joy and everything, oh my, is different from what it used to be. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, let me bring it down to close. This is going to be really intense. When you're born of the Spirit, you can get in the Spirit any day, any hour. 
El Shaddai is for everybody, all times, any moment, any place. Driving down the road, in your prayer closet at home, in the church. It's not just reserved for church. A drink from El Shaddai can happen all the time. He said if we would pray until our soul comes into the presence of God and then just relax and listen to his voice. Now let me just take a few minutes. Did you know that tongues were the result of the Spirit himself speaking through the people? And they were all filled with the Spirit, the Bible said, and began to talk in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So tongues was the result of the Spirit speaking through the people. Think of that. As I said, it's not a one and done affair. You see, we got to follow Christ every day or we have taken an organizational life. So think of it. We can nurse on him and receive a refreshing from his spirit any time. How many would like to be refreshed in the spirit? It's for you. Now, I'm just going to say, part of that is praying until you get in the spirit, until you actually break out into a heavenly language. You say, I don't know that, Brother Tim. That's not Bible. Well, let me just tell you what the Bible had to say about it. In private prayer, the Bible teaches, Paul taught us that tongues aided the believer or the speaker to praise God. Tongues aided the believer or the speaker to praise God. They let the speaker pray even at those times when they wasn't sure to ask for. Tongues are for that reason. When you don't even know what to ask for, you pray until you break out into that heavenly language. And in public worship, when accompanied by another, the nine gifts, interpretation, tongues, provided a vehicle of direct communication between God and his people. In the case of tongues, let's just put up 1 Corinthians 14 and 4. The purpose of them is the strengthening of the one who uses them. He that speaketh in tongues edifieth, builds up, or strengthens himself. So here is a reason for speaking in tongues. It strengthens the one who's speaking in tongues. Also, Paul refers to this as a form of prayer. Now, you can see why the devil don't want this happening. He don't want the church strong. He don't want you to, he, he don't want you to, to, to have that as a form of prayer. Verse 14, chapter 14, 14. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. So tongues is a form of prayer. It's when your spirit prayeth. 
Now, you can pray with your intelligence and with your mouth, but when your spirit prays, it's in another language, a heavenly language. All right? So what is it then? Verse 15, I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with understanding also. I won't do all my praying in tongues. I will also pray in, with understanding. I will sing in the spirit and I will, I will sing with the understanding also. Else then when I bless with the spirit, how then shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say, amen, at thy giving of thanks when seeing that he understands not what thou saying. So why should we pray in tongues? It allows me to worship God and bless God in the spirit. Thou shalt bless with the spirit. I just read that. So it allows you to worship God and bless God in the spirit. What else? It allows me to pray in the spirit. For he says, I will pray in the spirit and with understanding also. So it allows me to pray in the spirit. I can even worship in the spirit. I will sing in the spirit and I will sing with understanding also. So it allows me to worship in the spirit. It builds and encourages and strengthens the speaker because he that speaketh in in an unknown tongue edifies himself. It builds you up. It edifies you. It refreshes you. Now, Paul also taught us in Romans 8, 26, he taught us, he, see that, he saw tongues as a way to pray when your mind is perplexed, when you don't know what to ask for. How do I pray about this? Watch this. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For when we know not what we should pray for as we ought, But the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So you see, and then he goes on the the next verse where he says, and he that searches the heart knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. So when I pray and I don't know what the will of God is, I can get in the spirit and I can pray in other tongues. And the Spirit is making intercession. So, in the same way the Spirit comes to the aid of our weakness, we don't know how we ought to pray, but through our groans, our loss for words, the Spirit himself is pleading for us, and God who searches our innermost being knows what the Spirit means because he pleads for his God's own people in God's own way. It's a way for God to make intercession for through you. Now, church, this isn't just New Testament. This is message. Listen, there are two different kinds of tongues. There are tongues of angels. That is men in private prayer out yonder somewhere speaking to God, speaking to God in angelic tongues. In Zion, Illinois, Brother Branham tells of having a meeting. He felt so pressed in the spirit. He, he just couldn't get ready to go for the meeting. It was so heavy and was praying and praying and just so heavy. Billy Paul come knocked on his door and said, it's time to go to church. He said, I can't go, Billy. And 
He just kept praying and praying. Billy went and got him a Coke or something and waiting around to see if his dad would be ready in a few minutes. In a few minutes, Brother Branham was down praying. And he says, I heard someone speaking in other tongues. It sounded like German to me. And he said, I thought, who is that German? What are they saying? And he says, as I listened to it, trying to hear the source it come from, I realized it was coming out of my own mouth. And he said, after it finished, after it got through, the burden lifted and he went on to the meeting. You know, Brother Baxter, as he was singing another song and whatever, waiting, he's, I thought you wasn't coming. He said, well, you know, I, I, I'm here. And he gets up and he starts speaking. And just as he gets through preaching at the end of the service, a lady comes into church and she's shouting and screaming back there. They run back with a microphone to see what, it was, what, what her deal was, what, what she was screaming about. And, and she had been on her way to the meeting. She had, was in an ambulance. She had tuberculosis. She started hemorrhaging in her lungs. And that blood was just coming out. And then she said, I don't want to die in this ambulance. Get me out on the grass. Get me out on the grass. I'll die there, but I don't want to die in this, in this ambulance. And they put her on the grass. And as they were praying around her, the bleeding suddenly stopped and she was healed. And come to find out it was the very same time that Brother Branham was speaking in other tongues, making intercession. What's wrong with that? That's a New Testament church. Amen. That's what's supposed to be in the church. We need the power of El Shaddai, the Almighty God, to pray the prayer of intercession, to refresh, to strengthen, to encourage us. Dear God, we know we need encouragement in this hour. And when it is interpreted, God will speak to it, through it. And, the, and when it's spoken, it will bless God in a heavenly language. And that is given to us to nurse on until the body is changed. The Holy Ghost is El Shaddai that we are to drink of. Refreshing after refreshing. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. Amen. We stand together and rejoice with me this morning. Amen. We ought to rejoice. We're a New Testament church. We're a Bible-believing church. We believe the full word of God, not part of it, all of it. We shall see miracles. We shall see giants fall. We will walk on our waters. Hallelujah. In my name, they will speak with new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We'll have every divine promise of God. We'll take holiness. We'll take the power of God. We'll take the seven thunders being revealed. The book is open. And every promise for the bride is mine. Won't you worship the Lord together with me? Raise your hands and thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. How we appreciate you, Lord.